0: Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of the Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts.
2: Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and we have a very special guest today. Miriam Parker is the associate publisher of Echo, which is where my memoir is going to come out eventually I hope. Miriam is also the author of The Shortest Way Home and Room and Board which is the one we're talking about today. She has an MFA in creative writing from UNC Wilmington and a BA in English from Columbia University. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband, daughter, and Spaniel Leopold Bloom and Miriam I remember the day you, you acquired Leopold Bloom. <laughs>
1: Oh, it was a day that will live in infamy.
2: <laughs> Indeed. um, But I love, I love this last line of your bio because it's like kind of uh, gets to the heart of, I think something that you and I didn't know when we first met each other, <laughs> which is that um, it gets better.
1: Yes, it does. Well, we were set up on a friend date by an ex-boyfriend of mine, um, and I it was, like, the best thing that ever happened to me.
2: (laughs) Me, too. I was really in the shits.
1: (laughs) I know, and I had just come back to New York from grad school, and I, like, didn't really know what I was doing, and I, like, didn't really have any friends anymore, and, like, I didn't live in Brooklyn at the time, either. I was still living in Manhattan, and um, I was like, this is not, like, nothing is working, you know, like I hated where I lived and I didn't have a dog and I was like about to break up with this boyfriend. (laughs) Basically he was like, here's my parting gift to you. I'm going to send you, set you up on a date with a person who I think you'll
2: really like. I love that because Room and Board is such that book. Like you can, the idea that like, if you don't like your life or certain aspects of your life, you can uh, change it.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because both of my books are about someone who like runs away from their New York life to do Uh something else. And like, yeah, (laughs) right. I mean, and I will say like, whenever I talk about it, I'm like, well, I've never done that. I've always lived in New York and like, but it's actually now that I talk to you about it, it's kind of not true. Like I did go to grad school to kind of like escape my New York life. And then I came back. Um, But I definitely, you know, when I was young, had this idea that if I just moved, would get better. Um which is like sort of true and sort of not true. Like I do believe that wherever you go there you are like you're still yourself yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that in this book like Jillian kind of figures that out like she runs away from being a publicist but it turns out she's a publicist and like her publicity skills like come in handy um wherever it is that she is. So um I think that's you know I think that wherever you go there you are kind of you know rings true in this book e- even though but you can you can change the circumstances that lead to different outcomes, which I think is what mm-hmm. both of us have done.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I think it's always I mean, I think both of your novels are fantasy novels in a way like, yeah, the idea of pulling that escape hatch like that, that you could go somewhere with great wine and uh, <laughs> nice weather and um <laughs> I, I even like the idea that what Jillian is looking for, because I, I think this is true of you too, and, and maybe stop me if I'm misspeaking, um, but like the calm that she feels in Sonoma yeah. is something that you could probably feel elsewhere, even in New York City. It just takes some work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I went to the beach this weekend and I kind of felt it there. I mean, you can within like 30 minutes get out of your like hustle bustle life and like get to the beach or like even like, I mean, I'm really lucky to live right near Prospect Park. And like during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. there's a little part, I would, there's a little place in Prospect Park where there are all these birds kind of you know, hang out. And I would go there on my lunch break and just like look at birds. And like, sometimes I brought bird seed and it was calm and you couldn't hear cars and there weren't that many people around. So like there are places you can kind of escape to even in New York. Um, But I will say when I lived in North Carolina and I would come back to New York, the minute I would get off the plane, like my heart would start to race and I would turn in back into that New Yorker immediately who was like, get out of my way. You
2: You start walking more quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, another thing I love about this book is we have very similar references Mm. (laughs) and so if on page one (laughs) of the book um you have a young Jillian in high school singing As Cool As I Am by Dar
1: Williams wow just um it's funny that part is actually the last part of the book that I wrote the book was kind of the book was all set in the present day, you know, the present time period, which is 2018, um, which I had to do because I didn't want there to be a pandemic in my book. Um, and um, I, but it my, Maya Ziv, who's my amazing editor. And I kind of, we were like, there's just, she was like, there's something kind of missing. And I think it's the past. And she was like, can you write a prologue? And I was like, I'll try. And so when I finished writing it, I was like, this is a love letter to like my fellow, like late 1990s <laughs> high school grads loved a
2: folk festival. <laughs> Absolutely. And truly Miriam, you know, I, I, I've known that song by heart since, since then. Yeah. But, but reading room and board made me kind of reevaluate the, the story of that song. Mm. Um, because I think one of the things that happens, you know, Jillian was, we find out in high school at the boarding school, um, she had two best friends, and they were both hot. Mm-hmm. and um they ended up dating. And she was miserable. But for some reason, she tended to to have her anger focused mostly on on the girl slash woman. <laughs> I will not be afraid of women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me about. It's
1: funny that oh, I hadn't really thought. I well, be honest, I hadn't really thought about that. I do think it's true. I mean, my like personal life experience is that like when there's kind of like a love triangle, when anytime I've been involved in a love triangle, my rage always went towards the woman, and I don't know why because it's not her fault. It's um,
2: it's really the the person who created the love triangle. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and I mean, the one thing I wanted to say about Jillian too is that she's not perfect. Like, she doesn't, she's not blameless in the situation. And like, I didn't want to have a character who was like, uh, you know, this sort of like, whoa, is me. Like, she did something wrong too. Like, she, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think that. I mean, I I like char- like main characters who are like a little bit messy. Like, you want to root for them, but you also, and it's possible there are people. I mean that wouldn't root for her because she, you know, she like, you know, tried to like, you know, steal her best friend's boyfriend. Like that's, pop- that's something that someone might not like about her. But I would, I hope is that she has, she's made a mistake and that you kind of do root for her in the present to kind of like overcome whatever mistakes that she's made.
2: Yeah. And, and, and so I guess the idea that, um, again, high school wasn't, her favorite time in her life but um there is there is a comfort in like kind of almost like drew barry mooring and never been kissed like being able to go back there and 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 do it over
1: yeah and i don't um I mean, it's not something that, like, I've ever done or, like, recommend. I mean, occasionally I'll go back to my hometown, which my parents don't even live in anymore, and I'm like, this place is kind of funky. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I've, I've never like moved back to my hometown or like gone back, you know, I go back there occasionally. Like, yeah, I actually got and did get married in my hometown, um, which was, you know, so we had to go back a couple of times and my parents don't live there anymore. So it's really not my place anymore, but it is, you know, you walk down those sidewalks and you're like, I remember all these cracks because I looked at them so many times, you know, like it's a place like you're never going to live anywhere as long as you lived in that place. If you live, like I lived in the same house, my whole, you know, childhood and, you know, growing up. So I definitely, you have these kind of like ingrained memories, but you also like, you know, my whole hope the whole time I was in high school was like, I want to get away from this, from this place and I want to be a different person than I've been this whole time and so I think that there's sort of this balance between like you you want to go back and fix the mistakes that you made but you also want to be a new person you know and I think that that's kind of one of the things that's kind of happening in this book is she's like gone back to try to fix it or like reconnect it or whatever but she also is like she's grown up and she's been through a lot and she knows more about herself than she did and she sees it in the kids that she's kind of mentoring she's like I see kind of the path that they're going to, that they could potentially take, or I kind of see who the people who they might be are. And um, I think she wants to help them maybe like avoid some of the mistakes she made or some of the mistakes she saw people make. Um, And that's another thing. When I was thinking about writing the book, I was like, you know, one of the things I'm very into is like intergenerational friendships and mentorship. And, um, and so, and that, you know, that sounds kind of like corporate, but um, it's,
2: you know, it seemed to me
1: like something that could be, could be part of a book. So here we are.
2: (laughs) And 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 so again, you didn't go to boarding school, but I, I I really do love the way you describe the life of the dorm mom, which which is what Jillian has signed up for.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's sort of made up. I mean, I, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I did, I asked a few questions, but I will say that like, if someone really went to boarding school and reads this book, and is like, this is not how it is. Like they might be right. I don't know. (laughs) But, um, I, um, you know, I sort of thought about like the resident advisors when I was in college and like, I have, you know, knew a little bit about like how a boarding school works and some of her experiences at the high school are a little bit like loosely based on my experience going to college. Um, cause that was definitely a shock for me. Um, but, um, especially the stuff about class, that definitely was something when I got to college, I was like, oh God, this world is way different from where I come from. Um, but so, yeah, so I think, but the, the role of a dorm mom is different than a resident advisor because the, you know, they really need her. They're still kids. So I think, I mean, the experience of being a dorm mom is different than the experience of being a resident advisor because the kids are still kids, you know, and they need like, you know, someone to make sure they go to bed and someone to make sure that they do their homework and also like someone to like tell them what, you know, like what life is because they're still kids, you know? And so even though these kids are rich and like, you know, they kind of are really craving that kind of, you know, parental support. And that's what she, what she is to them.
2: Yeah, they're very explicit in saying like, no, you call her, you are called a dorm mom because you actually have to have this kind of maternal role. Yeah. And here she is, she's 37, 38. I think she might be
1: 38, I think.
2: <laughs> um and she has not had children yet and isn't sure if she wants to, and then she all of a sudden has many children. <laughs>
1: Which maybe is like the ultimate instruction about whether you should or should not have children. (laughs) Some
2: people watch the rehearsal. Some people um, just have to become a dorm parent. (laughs) I think one of the other things that struck me and and all the time I think about this. um, When Jillian was in high school, there was no internet. There was no method of communicating or researching somebody in the way there is now. And so when she gets to the gem, which is what the school is called um, in 2018, she has no secrets. Mm. Everyone has Googled her.
1: They Google her in front of her. Like, they're like, oh, I'm just going to check you out. Like, and it's not even like a, it's not even a pretension that you might go do it in private. It's like, oh, okay. And it's just like reading her, like, you know, Wikipedia, you know, her, like, you know, her press hits out to her, you know, that's like, that's what the world is like now. And I will say like, it's terrifying, like that you have a footprint anything everything is a footprint everywhere and so and i i look at the way that people get into trouble people say one thing online and it just like spirals and like it can change your life yeah and like so that was definitely something that i was just reacting to and you know and wanting to um wanting wanting to just like think about in the book because it's something that i see happening and i find I just find it terrifying when I see it happening. And I feel bad, I, you know, you like sort of feel the, you feel, especially if it's someone who's made kind of like a mistake that they didn't know they made and you're kind of yeah. like, Oh, geez, this is rough, you know, and it can ruin your life.
2: I, I think that's true. Although you say um, in the book, I, my a favorite line is that high school was the original cancel culture. <laughs> You can be shunned by your
1: peers, uh, even without the help of social media. <laughs> right, except for that, I think now like that, it just like everything is high school, you know? <laughs> like Twitter is high school.
2: I think that's right, that's amazing. Um, and, and so tell me a little bit, Miriam, about um what these people are discovering about Jillian when they Google her. Um, This is a part that you know a bit better than, than the uh, boarding school part.
1: So, you know, it's, and it's like a little bit alluded to, but basically what happened is that Jillian was a celebrity publicist and she, you know, had clients. And one of her clients was a director who was a Me Too person who lied to her and told her he wasn't. And she she defended him in public, you know, helped him like kind of craft his image. And then it all came, you know, kind of barreling back on her. And, um, as a result, she basically got canceled in public and got, you know, simultaneously she got canceled in public, but also all these other B2 guys were like, oh, can you be my publicist? And she was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be, that's not the person I want to be. I don't want to be the, you know, the me too publicist who just defends, you know, gross men. And so, and she was like, and if that's, what's going to happen to me, then I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. And and that's like such a, it is a career path now. Like, I mean look at all the people who defend Trump, you know? I mean not to go into politics, but like there's like a whole world of like that that's your job, you know? And I, I don't know. I that part of it like I you know, you, in some ways you, I like you have to respect someone being like instead of like taking a bunch of money to do something that they don't stand behind, she was like, "Well, I'm just going to quit." You know?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. That's that seems like the the wise thing to do.
1: It's good that she had a little, you know, money saved up. She has an apartment that she can sublet as a back, you know, as a, backstop. <laughs> a nicely furnished apartment.
2: Um, and I do love the way you portray her life in New York City and the brands of clothing she wears and the skincare she uses and the bar where she hangs out. Thank goodness she hangs out at one of my favorite uh, <laughs> kind of uh, low-key bars and not like a fancy cocktail lounge
1: <laughs> well you've got to have your home bar that's like a little bit you know like that there's like a little bit of grit, grit on the ground mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but tell me about like a- another thing i was telling you before today was um you you have this whole section about what jillian bought before she started at this school where she was going to be mm-hmm. surrounded by rich people And she had a nice pair of Banana Republic jeans and a pair of Mavi jeans, which um, really brought me back.
1: I had to like remember what like the brands were, you know, in 1996 and like what you would, even if you were at, you know, Filene's basement, like what would you like gravitate towards to get and be like, this is the cool thing. Um, it's funny when I, my first apartment by myself in New York city was on 13th street between third and fourth Avenue. And it was on the same block as the Palladium dorm for NYU. And, um, every September, like late August, the kids would move in and I would see them wearing like what they thought was their cool New York outfit. And like, I could pick them out and be like, oh, that, you know, like, <laughs> like I can, and then by October, they had all blended well,
2: in. Wow. And,
1: like figured out like what they were really supposed to wear and it was so like it was just this like weird magic thing that happened like and you know they were wrong when they first got here but then they figured it out so um and I don't know if I ever figured it out in college but I will say that like when I got there I just didn't I didn't have a lot of clothes and I didn't really know like and I didn't I just didn't know what it was like I just I had what I had. And, you know, my closet was not full. And I do remember, this is actually true, is that a girl walked into my room and looked at my closet. She was like, well, where's the rest of your stuff? And I was like, that's all I have. And she was like, oh. And then I went to her room and it was like, she had like dry cleaning bags of everything. Her closet was exploding, you know? (laughs) And I was just like, not, and, you know, I think this is in the book too. It's like, not only did she buy all the clothes but she had to dry clean each one of them you know (laughs) which is like another wardrobe like every time even now when I dry clean my clothes I'm like I could have bought another thing (laughs) (laughs) um and then and and of
2: course in 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 the um apex of her life as a publicist she finally has that closet
1: (laughs) right well, and I think I wonder, you know, I read it somewhat, a tweet thread of this the other day, like, I it's like, one of those things that I, I wonder if that was what she, she really wanted, what she was always searching for is like, this sort of acceptance into that world that she had never quite figured out when she was in college. And so in some ways, like her whole career was her like, just trying to get that acceptance that like, you know, flash that she, you know, that she has in um, that her friends just had in high school, you know?
2: And I love how so much of the book is then about her deciding what, what she wants to be next, um, and how to tone that look down a little bit and like how to dress in a different way, like more, um, work casual, right. Well, <laughs> and, it's, it's and so even much... like figuring out
1: what actually makes her happy. Right. And so much though about like culture is like, how do you, is like reading the room. It's like, do I, like, what is this room? And like, how am I going to, how am I going to work in this room? You know? And I think as a publicist, she kind of gets that, but I think as a person, she might not. And I think that she's never quite like figured out how to like fit in at this school. And I think it's, again, as she goes back and she's like, I still don't fit in here. you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still not like accepted at the party. I'm still not, I'm not a teacher. I'm a dorm mama, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. So she's, You know, she's always like a little bit of an outsider, kind of looking at the world and trying to figure it out.
2: But this time around, she makes like a a a true blue friend, I'd say.
1: Yeah. And like, I mean, making a friend is like the is like the thing. I mean, I will is the thing, you know? I mean, and I mean as we said at the, at the beginning of this, like, you know, when I got back to New York and I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't really have any, I didn't have new friends. Like once I like met you and, you know, I met Rachel and I, I just met some people that like made me feel you know, like, oh, this could be my home, you know? And then when I got my dog, I met this a whole other like group of people that I was like, this is, you know, I like, and I moved to Brooklyn. I was like, this is like a community and this is what I'm really, really looking for, you know? And like, once you find your community, then you're like, okay, this is my home. But it took me a long time to like find my home. I was not at home until I was in my mid thirties. So, um, and I think that, you know, Julie, I, you know, maybe that's another thing that like I have in common with Julie. <laughs> Like that sort of search for a home and finally finding it, you know, a little bit later in life than you think, you know, I think this is, this is true of the shortest way home probably more, but, um, you know, there are like these like markers that when you're little people tell you like, this is what, this is the order your life is going to go in. I'm like, guess what? It's not going to, you know, and like, once you, once, and that's disappointing when you first, you first realize it, you're like, wait, you know, my like Nora Ephron life isn't happening, but like then you have to kind of, once you move on from that, you can and accept it and find the right path. That's your path. It's much better, you know?
2: Absolutely. We don't give late bloomers an, enough uh, credit in our <laughs> society as a whole, I would say.
1: Well, and it's funny because I was, um, you know, thinking about Nora Ephron and like, you know, in the essay that I published on yeah. last week and like Nora, Nora Ephron was a late bloomer, you know? Like she married her like one true love when she was 56 Uh, you're freezing sorry oh sorry um so i'll start again um so nora efron was a late bloomer like she you know she met her like one true love when she was 54 she she probably directed julia and julia when she was like in her like 60s you know so like for someone who was so mean about you know getting older and wrote books called i feel bad about my neck she certainly was like like the icon for it in, in so many ways.
2: absolutely um and then, of course, and and I, I feel like one of the things that I really enjoyed about Jillian finding out what she likes is that, yeah, of course, she didn't have time when she was in high school to read for pleasure. But by college, she's reading The Giant's House by Elizabeth McCracken. And how life changing is that? <laughs>
1: I mean, it is like when you realize that books aren't just like the boring ones that you get assigned in high school, it's, it's a game changer. And like, I mean, I didn't really read a lot of contemporary fiction until I was out of college. But like, once I started doing it, I was like, oh my God, it's so much better than, you know. (laughs) um, Like, I, I, you know, I was just thinking the other, I I had to do an interview for the book that where they asked me if there was a book I ever faked reading. And like, I was like, I don't know if I've ever faked a book, reading a book. I mean, probably I have, but um, I know in high school, they assigned us Billy Budd and I like couldn't read it. I found it unreadable and I read the cliff notes and I'm like, why were they assigning us Billy Budd? Like we were, you know, like do something even remotely more relevant to a bunch of teenagers, you know, than like some maritime book, you know?
2: It's really interesting because I do think, um, and this is just anecdotal, like that people even just a little younger than we are got to read more contemporary stuff. Like Toni Morrison was really like a very much like a assigned to people slightly younger than we are
1: and like what a difference it would Absolutely. be to read books like that and like you know and understand what like the power that books have versus being assigned things that are just like feel like that are a chore you know like Billy Budd is a chore that nobody on earth wants to do you know and like they should not have to I'm I, I'm sure it's not in curriculums anymore <laughs>
2: yeah that would be interesting to like kind of compare and contrast
1: about Um, how much like good young adult literature has been written since we were kids I mean you know the giver came out since we were kids that everyone reads and you know and things like that that are just different you know and better
2: (laughs) for sure um and so tell me a little bit about reintroducing Jillian to her high school crush slash foil slash I don't know. Maybe tell me.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, like I, there has to be a love story. And um, I, you know, I sort of wanted it to be this kind of unrequited thing that like she had always thought about him, you know, on the back of her mind. And she never quite committed to anybody, you know, maybe as a result of that, maybe for other reasons, who knows? Um, and so when, you know, she gets to school and he, you know, on the first day of school, like he shows up with his daughter it's like oh no (laughs) (laughs) this is you know like is it fate is it you know who knows but um you know I think that just seeing him in person again and she'd sort of I think kind of like hoped that she might see him and you know had done a little internet stalking herself to know that he (laughs) was still there around um you know that I mean it does add a little bit of excitement to the day and maybe like a little bit of you know incentive to move back and you know put on nice pants in the morning (laughs) um
2: and tell me a little bit more about wine I think like um your first novel really brought home the fact that you learned so much and so now you can just casually drop like uh adjectives that Jillian might use to describe the wine she's drinking
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I had to do a lot of research for the first book. I did not do as much research for this one. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've, unfortunately, like, for good or for bad, like, I'm the person now who has to order the wine. (laughs) So (laughs) I have to, I have have to have those words around. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: And um, certainly, like, during the pandemic, I've, like, discovered some wines that I like, and that I'm into, and, like, some of them are in the book. And um, I think, you know, like wine is one of those things that's like intimidating but like if you know four things about it it's not anymore you know and so and i think that's kind of true with a lot of things it's i feel like it's true about like you know music appreciation like if you know like five things about jazz you can talk about jazz you know and and i think that maybe that's maybe that's a result of you know my job on you know it's we're, what being a publisher like it's so wide ranging in terms of what you read and what you interact with and um you know I just have access to you know, every kind of book and I'm I've been and certainly in the past few years, um, I've you know because I we, you know at Echo we publish you know a really wide variety especially of of literary nonfiction and memoir and um, science. Um, I've just been exposed to so much information and I love I've I like have a real love of nonfiction now that I you know didn't always have. And I think that um, but I also have learned that like, you can sound like an expert on a topic with like a you know, just a certain amount of information. And that's why it's so fun to read, you know, like a book about you know if you read a book about a tree I'm an expert on trees now
2: <laughs> for sure. Uh, oh. uh, Miriam, I don't like asking this question. Um, I feel like a hack when I do, but you are the associate publisher of Echo. You have a a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. You have a bratty but sweet dog. (laughs) And you wrote a novel. And so how? How did you do this?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you the truth, which is I couldn't do it now. Um, Having a a two-and-a-half-year-old is like actually way harder than having a baby. And I know like people are like, oh, having a baby, having a baby, at least my baby was, she was a really good baby. She is not the best three and a half year old. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I wrote the first half of the book, actually, before she was born, the first two thirds of it before she was born. Um, And then she was born and I finished it on maternity leave, Um, which was, that was like the greatest gift ever. She was a very good napper and sleeper when she was a baby. She is no longer. Um, but um she's a good napper, not a good sleeper. Um, but so, so, and I revised it over the course of like the first year of her life where she also was like a pretty good sleeper and my husband Ben like would take her out of the house when I was like, I have to like get a chunk of this thing done and I need to do it by like this Sunday night, you know? So, and she was little and it was much, things were much easier when she was little. Things now are harder (laughs) to be, be completely honest. So, um, I'm not working on anything new. Like, I think I need a, a, like, I need some time until she grows up a little bit and my brain can kind of um, re-acclimate to having ideas again. Like right now I don't have a lot of ideas.
2: (laughs) Um, And on that note, um, do you have time to read for pleasure in the midst of all of
1: this? And um, what are you reading? Well, I, I do occasionally have time to read for pleasure. And it's funny, like, throughout the year, I, like, collect recommendations. And I, like, you know, because I'm looking at book coverage all the time. You know, all I do is read book coverage and read people's recommendations and, like, see people's book twitter so i'm like god what a nice life to you know be able to read whatever you want but um so i collect ideas and then like when i have a free weekend when i don't have to read for work i'll pick up one of the books so um which is funny but people in publishing i think all do this that like when you have a little free time it's like oh i get to read but like not for work (laughs) that's ultimate freedom like i do love reading for work like I, the the great thing about working at Echo is that we publish only books that I like, so um so that's all good. But um so all I recommend all Echo books. <laughs> <laughs> um but the book that like really sort of has caught me recently and just like you know made me just really spirited me away was Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Um like speaking of the '90s and you know I mean historical fiction set you... something. But wait, sorry, we um, lost you for a second. Yeah. Okay. Um, so historical fiction set, like when you were in high school is, you know, maybe (laughs) makes you feel old, but, um, it was just a book that I connected with on like every single level. I love the main character. I love the video game stuff she was talking about. I loved their, um, I just, I love seeing the development of their company. I mean, I love a work novel and, um, you know, that book is, it's a true delight so if someone was gonna I, I mean if someone was looking for something to really escape with I, that's my recommendation so um, but I do also have a couple audiobook re- recommendations Ooh, I like audiobooks um because I have been walking you know I've been walking a lot and I um, I love to listen to audiobooks when I walk and so um, I loved um, an immense world by Ed young. it's so good and if you love animals um, there's a great chapter about dogs um and if you love animals it's just so 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 interesting and again it's like one of those books that like makes you feel like an expert when you're listening to it um which is fun and Ed is a great reader so listening to a great is, reader yeah you listened, you listened to the audiobook too didn't you
2: yeah I said it yeah. like he he sounds like a nature documentarian like yeah. it's it's really it's kind of amazing
1: He's great. And then my other favorite bu- audio I listened to this year is this book called Lab Girl, which came out a couple of years ago by Hope Jaron. Um, but the audio is amazing. And she, this is my tr- This is how I am a tree expert. Um, like her, you know, her interstitials between each memoir chapter are about her tree research. And, and so you just learn so much. And, um, you know, willow trees talk to each other, like, you know, that's amazing. <laughs>
2: Well, Miriam, thank you so much. Um, Room and board, out now. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's
1: been a true joy.
2: Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.